Ariana, have you ever thought of doing musical evangelism? I recommend it. Wouldn't you like to attend a series of meetings that she sings every meeting? That would be so nice. Well, it happened. The Lord just changed the sermon. So I hope you don't mind. I'm sure he doesn't. But this text, you know, uh, picking up from here, what is it we need to know? You need to know to count, right? Remember Fulgham's book, Everything I Needed to Know I Learned Where? In kindergarten, of course, right? Well, but of all the things you got, how many have gone to school five years? Raise your hand. How about six? How about 10? Anybody going to school 10 years? All right, let's take it a little higher. 12 years. Oh, we got hands there. 14 years. 15. Well, wow, that's really something. Are you still learning? Those of you who kept your hands up the longest, still learning? Of all the things we get to learn, what's the most important? Paul said it here. Now, Paul's heart is Jew. You know that, right? And he got a rabbinical education par excellence. And he's, you know, he could almost swagger when he walked because like in today's world, if you say, I graduated from Harvard, you know, that's supposed to be the ultimate, isn't it? This is kind of the Harvard of things you need to know. First of all, what? What does it say? The most important thing, I delivered to you, first of all, what is it? What does he say? How that Christ, what? Died for our sins. Now, we're minimalists when it comes to sin, aren't we? What do we say adultery is? A what? An affair. And if you're not going to tell the truth, what are you telling? A little white. We minimize it, but to get rid of it required what? Jesus dying on the cross. That's a pretty heavy-duty thing to have happen, isn't it? Now, we talk about a hill called Mount Calvary, but having been over there on a tour, the conference did about five, six years ago, (coughs) pardon me, they ended up the tour at the garden, and we're sitting here in these chairs that they've established. They've set lots of people in those chairs, and the, the gentleman is from England, and he spoke very knowledgeably, and he he pointed our attention off to our right, past the fence. There's a parking area, all paved, where all the tour buses park. And he said, near as we can tell, that is where Jesus' cross would put on the ground. Not up there, but down there. He said there was a good reason for it. Because it was such, have you ever heard of uh, the word detriment? There's a similar word, militarily speaking where, you know, you have so much weaponry, no nation's going to even try to touch you. That's kind of what crucifixion was. The Romans concocted this idea. It was the worst way of dying there ever has been devised in this world. Sitting down there, 
they, people come walking along and they see somebody crucified on the cross and what goes with it, and they think, I guess I'm not going to do what I thought I would, right? It was so persuasive against it. I can't think of the word I want. It'll come. Anyway, so that was down there where everybody, there were two main trade routes went right by that parking lot today, and everybody going in and out of Jerusalem would see whatever was happening, and they would know. Somebody sure did bad, but it wasn't what Jesus did that put him on the cross. What put him on the cross? Our sins, what we did. And more than that, there's more than one definition of sin. One is the transgressing of the law or living lawlessly is actually the term. Anoma, anomia, no law. And there's another definition, to him who knows to do good and what? Doesn't do it to him, it's sin. So it's not just doing the bad, it's not doing the good. And there's a third definition. Sin is, Jesus said, because they don't believe in me. Sin is doing it yourself, going alone. Maybe you've been trying that lately and are discovering it doesn't work very well, right? So going on here, first importance, Christ died for our sins. Let me explain something here, what it means to die. Do you remember Jesus was with the disciples and here came a messenger, red-faced, in a rush. <laughs> Master, I have a message for you from, from, from Bethany. And he said, oh, yes. Martha said to tell you, Lord, the one you love is sick. <laughs> Who was that? It was Lazarus. What did Jesus do? Nothing. And then four days later, he turns to the disciples, well, Lazarus is sleeping, I'm going to go wake him up. And Jesus, the disciples look at him and says, huh? Lord, what do you mean he's sleeping, you're going to wake him up? Let him sleep, he's getting better. What did Jesus say next? This is John 11. Well, Lord, he said, he's dead. And I'm really glad for your sakes that we weren't there because you are going to see the glory of God. So what God does with death brings glory to him. Now, what did Jesus say had happened to Lazarus at the first there? What did he say? He is sleeping. And I'm going to wake him up. Well, he did. When he stood in front of that tomb and he said, Lazarus, come forth, if he'd simply said, come forth, what do you think would have happened? Man, they had an early resurrection. What, he has that kind of power. We have an incredible Savior, folks, incredible. And even more than that is the Father who gave him to us. Now, when it came time for Jesus to die on the cross, as he is going from the upper room to the garden, this is the middle of the night sometime, he says, my soul is exceeding sorrowful. This is in the Gospel of Matthew. My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto what? He didn't say sleep, did he? Even unto death. Even to death. There are two kinds of death in this world. There's a first death, sleep. 
And Jesus said, you know, we don't need to be afraid of that, do we? No, because, I mean, when he said, Lazarus, come forth, what happened? There he is. But he is tied up. You can't move when you're tied like that, right? What did he do? There he is. But, but he's, he's dead. You can't hear. Well, he heard. Is it possible that every dead person can hear the voice of the, resur- the resurrection? Absolutely. There are two of them coming. But when we think of Jesus' death, you know what we usually think of in terms of the first death sleep. We look at the body. We see his body pierced. We see his blood We see the thorns. We see his anguish. We see him gasping out and then... But if that's all we're seeing, we're not seeing much. The the word death, another meaning is homelessness or desolate. As Jesus approached the garden, he said, I have become desolate, homeless. What had happened to his picture of the Father? It was gone. It was gone. He, he said, I and the Father are one. More than once, you know. I could call for 12 legions. He's not saying that at this point. What had happened? Sin separates us from God, doesn't it? It separates us. And so when the Father put our sins on his Son... What happened to their relationship? Broken. And what happened to Jesus' heart? It broke his heart. And so as he's hanging on the cross, he gasped out, Dad, Daddy, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? The relationship was broken forever. At that point, did Jesus ever think he would see his father again? No, and if you could have seen spiritual entities, you would have seen the devil standing right beside him saying, you're never going to see him again. Kiss it goodbye, Jesus. He's history. You'll never see him again. And you think, Jesus, how much did he pray? A lot. Why? Because his father meant so much to him. His father understood him. He understood the father, and they were like this. And all of a sudden, his father's gone, and he said, I'll never have him back. But the thought that carried him through was that you and I would have his father. Now, we call it the sacrifice of the cross, and for Jesus, that was a sacrifice. He gave up dad so we could have him. Do we have him? Well, maybe, I don't know. That's up to us to determine, isn't it? Anyhow, there was a spiritual death. He's on the cross. All of a sudden, the the clouds blacken, the sky blacken the cross. Nobody can see through the gloom. There he is hanging on the cross. And he says, Father, where are you? You've left me alone. Why? He just the grief. This was the humanness of Jesus crying out. He hangs on the cross, and my favorite quote is from Desire of Ages, 
the chapter he died for all right at the end, it says, alone, apparently forsaken, all alone on the cross. He knew his father and he rested by faith in his father's affirmation already given him. And as by faith he committed himself to the father, the sense of the loss of his father was withdrawn. It says, by faith, Christ was victory. Suddenly, the cross is split open by the sun shining in his fullness. And he cries out, it is finished. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And what happened then? He went to sleep. The real resurrection happened when? On the cross. The resurrection from the second Death, not sleep, second death. Sunday morning waking up was a piece of cake compared to this. That is what it means that Jesus died for our sins. He paid the second price. And by the way, no one else has ever died, paid that price, just Jesus. And he did it according to the scriptures. And it says he was buried and he raised third day. And if we put our faith in Jesus, you know what will happen? We'll raise too. We'll raise too. In case you've been wondering, there is a war going on. We call in our church life the great controversy, don't we? That's a little bit of what I was planning on doing with you. We'll do that another time. But a war started in heaven where Lucifer, who turned into Satan in the very presence of God, if we can believe that, he started raising all kinds of questions about God to the point where all of the angels, the whole universe is wondering, what about him? This is what Calvary answered, not just to provide our salvation, but something so much more. Calvary answered all those questions, all those objections ricocheting all over the universe. What about God? What kind of a God is he? Cruel, vengeful, unforgiving, harsh, severe, judgmental, and all of this. Why? Simply because he said, Lucifer, my son comes before you. And Lucifer says, oh, yeah, I'm going to be like God. I'm going to come first. And this whole mess is because of that one creature. And you wonder, all the things going on in this world, all the pain, you know it hurts to live on planet Earth, doesn't it? It really does. But thanks to the skies above, the Lord up there, there is such a thing as forgiveness and healing. As you need it, it is available. Now, Calvary demonstrated for the whole universe the character and the government of God where people could look at him and say, you know what? I can trust you, Father. I can trust you. And if you come to the, complete, the conclusion in your life that you can trust him, for you the great controversy battle is finished. It's over. There is peace at last. The reason things in this planet on this world are going the way they are is for one reason. 
God is managing it all so that we will know the truth about him. And when it's all over and said and done, we will bow, we will reverently lay our crown at his feet and say, you're awesome, Father. And we'll trust him and we'll love him. Now, if he, in your, just in case in your life, there are difficult times going on right now and you're having a horrible time, I understand, but he does too. The day will come. He will step back and show you everything you never saw when you were going through it. And then he'll smile and say, shall we roll back time and do it over again? And, you look, and I will look at him and we'll say, don't think so, Father. You did it right the first time. He said, now you understand why it all happened? Yes, so that I would know the truth about you and your character. This is why it's going on. Can we trust him in the middle of the battle? I think so, but then I've settled a great controversy. For me, it's over, and I hope it is for you. Now, what do we have here? That's right, communion. The stack in the middle is the cup, and that comes from grape juice. How do you get grape juice, by the way? Well, the, the traditional way is they put them in big tubs, and what happens next? Somebody hops in and does this number, right, all over and squashes them, crushes them. That's how the blood of Jesus came. He was crushed. What's in the other four trays? That's bread. But, by the way, the wine, as we call it, doesn't have any alcohol in it. Aren't you glad? So if you've had a problem with that stuff in the past, don't worry about it. This won't be a problem to you. And the bread doesn't have any yeast in it. What does yeast do with things? Makes some <laughs> To the Lord, it was a symbol of the way sin works. He said, none of that stuff. So here we have, well, it's flat like a cracker, but it tastes a lot better than a saltine, I'll tell you. <laughs> All right. Now, this is from John chapter 13. The only gospel that tells the story Jesus got up. Now, the disciples, somebody was supposed to wash somebody's feet. Did they? No, no, that's a servant's job. I'm not, I'm not a servant. And they lay around the table. So what happened next? Jesus got up. He took his outer garment off like I took my coat off when I got here. It's cooler this way, by the way. He took his outer garment off, rolled his sleeves up, took a basin of water, and he started. Do you suppose he started with Judas Iscariot first? One way or the other. Maybe it was Judas. Anyhow, his final appeal to that man. And as he washes, he's holding those feet, and Judas feels the love surging into his soul. And almost, and then pride. So when he gets to Peter, what does Peter say? Oh, not my feet, Lord. He said, Peter... Unless I do, you have no part with me. Peter said, well, then wash all of me. Good response, Peter. Lord said, no, if I wash your feet, that's enough. And when he got done, of course, all of the disciples were pretty chagrined, which they should have been. <laughs> they, they needed to be. He said, I've given you an example that you should do what I have done for you. 
You don't have to be a member of this church to participate in this. We're going to do foot washing now. In case you've never participated, it's worth observing. We invite you to join us. And if you're not totally uncomfortable with the thought, then you just sit here and, and meditate. We'll come back and join you in a few minutes. But somebody gave me some instructions to tell everywhere to go. Catch that? I'm going to tell you where to go. <laughs> All right. Ladies, those of you who ha- are you know, somewhat challenged with going up and down stairs, right back here is the room for you. All right? Gentlemen, those of you who have a challenge with stairs, that kind of thing, the office right back here. That is for you. All right? Gentlemen, downstairs in the fellowship hall, Ladies, in the uh, former schoolroom downstairs, okay? I'm assuming you know where to go, okay? You can find your way there. And couples downstairs in the youth room. So hopefully that will cover everyone. So I invite you, um, take somebody by the arm and look at them. Let me tell you a quick story and then we'll, we'll separate. Um, You know, when boys are young, boys are boys, they say, right? I was the brat of the family. I was two years older than my younger brother, and I didn't treat him very nice. Well, you know the Lord has a way of taking care of things like that, so he made my brother Jim, he put him in the conference treasury department where every month he filled out my paycheck. When that happened, I smiled. I said, Lord, just desserts, just desserts. Well, they had a summer pastor's meeting, and they brought the office crew in for it too, including my brother. And I had been suggesting a conference president for a long, long time. Elder, we should have communion. Well, John, we'll think about it. So I came through the door, and he noticed me. He was on the platform, and I got there just a hair late, so the meeting already started. He interrupted. He says, John. Did you notice we're going to do communion? And I smiled and got my, my seat and went back to anonymity. Well, just before, I found my brother Jim. And I said, Jim, could I wash your feet? He stopped motionless. And his eyes were a study. I don't know what his thoughts were, but they were going a mile a minute. And he looked at me with a look he'd never had when he looked at me before. He said, I'd like that. It healed something that needed healing. And you know, folks, this is why the Lord did it, because those disciples needed, the apostles needed healing. We do too, don't we? So, once more, uh, couples, youth room, ladies, schoolroom, gentlemen, the fellowship hall, uh, vertically challenged people, I don't mean short, but those who have mobility issues, men in the office, ladies back here. I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to uh, just separate as we, uh, as we wish, all right? Father in heaven, thank you for the healing that the cross provides us. Thank you that Jesus was willing to give you up 
so we could have you. Thank you that you are so trustworthy. We ask your blessing and presence with us now in Jesus' name. Amen.